Caution. Learning in progress. Hello and welcome in to Smarter Every Season. My name is Tyler Hubert. This is the Precision Planning Podcast that's brought to you by uh, typically four product support members. And I'm happy to be joined today by a couple of those support members. Um, no Nolan Kitterman today, but I've got Paul Harms to my left in studio at the controls. How are you today, Paul? I'm struggling to, to fill Nolan's shoes. They are big shoes to fill. He's Nolan is, is fantastic. Skilled man. But we can all rest assured that this audio file is going to go to Nolan for final editing. So I think that gives us all peace of mind. Takes a little sweat off. Yes. Yes. And uh, to my right, I've got Hans Stetsman. Hello. How are you doing, Tyler? I'm fantastic. How are you today? I'm doing good. Glad to be here. Good. Good deal. So we're going to get into something that I think for me has taken kind of a lot of planning and a lot of thought. And I'm excited about it and and. This comes to us today, this particular topic or this podcast comes to us today because we've tried to do a really good job of communicating with our dealer network to tell them how to get a hold of us and how to get back to us with what they want to hear on the podcast. And I'm very thankful that one of our dealers uh, by the name of, of Jake Bruni, and Jake's from Nebraska, reached out via the Smarter Every Season at PrecisionPlanning.com email and kind of gave us an idea of something that he wanted to hear on the podcast. And so what we're going to talk about today, and I'm going to introduce our guests here in a little bit um, who are going to be joining us as, as kind of content experts, but what we're really going to unpack is broad category, smart firmer, diving a little deeper into that because smart firmer has a lot of different benefits and a lot of different metrics and value that it can provide to a grower, but we're going to really focus in on the OM side of things so that's where Jake's question was, was directly around OM, OM control, yeah. real-time control. And in planning this conver- in this, this conversation and getting all the experts in the room, I know some of the conversation has been Jake's at a high level. Jake did a great job of yeah. pushing the boundaries on things already, and he's asking, how do I get better? How do, we, how do I move the sticks a little bit farther? So first off, hats off to that, to, that, to that mindset and to your efforts, Jake. That's awesome. Yeah. But he's also got a 400-level question. Right. So we're going to start and and bring it down to the, explain it like I'm five, begin at the beginning, and we'll bring it back up to Jake's question at the, towards the end. So I think what, yeah, exa- you're exactly right, Paul. What we want to do is is start with kind of a base-level understanding of, of OM, its importance. We're going to get into then the power of organic matter or knowing your organic matter zones in a field and how that directly correlates then to be able to do variable rate, how to build variable rate prescriptions, why you would want to do variable rate, right? We're going to build into that and up to to Jake's question. I think what I want to do at this time is I had the opportunity to get Jake on the phone and before we recorded this podcast, talk to him a little bit about summarizing his email to me and what he wanted to to know a little bit more about. And so what I want to do at this time is is we'll pause, we'll go ahead and play my discussion with Jake, and that's going to frame up the rest of this podcast so everybody has an idea of, of what we're going to talk about and where we're going. So we'll go ahead and play that. So I'm joined here over the phone by Jake Bruni, and I guess I should start, Jake. I've always pronounced your last name Bruni. Is that correct? That's correct. It is. Okay, good deal. Yep. So... Jake, when we kicked off our podcast and mentioned to everybody that the best way to get a hold of us was at Smarter Every Season at PrecisionPlanning.com, you were one of the first guys that responded to us with something that you kind of wanted to hear for a podcast. And so we really appreciate that um, at Smarter Every Season uh, amongst our kind of group of guys here. We really want to be engaging with our dealer network. And so we were really grateful that you reached out. So... In a second here, I'm going to ask you to kind of summarize the email that you sent to me, but tell me a little bit about your dealership, Jake. Where are you guys located? Sure. So we're Northeast Nebraska. Um, Brick Street Precision Ag is the newer name um, of our of our precision planning dealership. Um, technically, um, we've been dealership here for eight years now and, and uh, had uh, had good success uh, with precision planning over the years. And, and uh, yeah, we're just... Uh, 
trying to strive at uh, you know with our with our current products um, that we've had out and proven products for several years to um, you know keep keep selling and promoting those, but also to on with some of these newer products to be able to understand them better and and help you know educate our customers on on uh, you know what what we could help them with that maybe um, either other dealers or other OEMs cannot. So that's where we're at. Okay, and how long have you been there? Um, I have been here for five years. Okay. So I don't want to steal too much of your thunder, but what we're going to kind of focus on is your email to me of kind of what you wanted us to dive a little deeper into and smarter every season was around smart firmers. And really I would say leveraging smart firmer to get the most out of it and the information that it provides. And especially as that pertains to variable rate capability. So with that, can you kind of summarize the email that you sent me or that you sent the Smarter Every Season team of um, kind of your idea, what you thought it would be really cool to hear on a podcast? Sure, sure. Yeah, so we, I guess what kind of intrigues me the most with some of this is is the variable rate technology that we have um, guys, you know, that are currently have them bolted onto their planner that we have the capability to variable rate. And as seed dealers, you know, we write variable rate seeding prescriptions and, and fertility prescriptions for guys um, based off multiple different things and multiple different data layers that we collect with all of our growers over the years. Um, so I think that's all great. Um, that's a great way of doing it. But I just feel like with some of the high definition inch by inch maps that we have, you know, that a lot of our growers have now, I just feel like there should be and there could be a better way to utilize some of those maps. And and variable rate seeding, I guess, being at the top of that list and, you know, for how simple it is uh, to set up. You know, we ran the beta test however many years ago, right, four years ago now, um, you know, variable rate and seed on the fly and, and had good response, had good luck with it. And we've been doing it with several growers ever since. But kind of my, my hurdle since then, the more we get out there, is – in our area in eastern Nebraska, in our clay hills, high organic matter does not has not always equated to yield. And sometimes low organic matter will be our best yield spots in the field. And when I first started this, you know, I was just to the point where it is what it is, you know, or that's just the way it is for our area. And, and there's maybe some other factors, you know, that we're not you know, looking into deeper. And at the time I didn't, but I'm to the point now where, you know, we want to dig deeper to know, you know, what that is. Um, so yeah, Tyler, based off our prior conversations, I, what I did here locally was, um, I went out and took soil samples based on them yield maps and, you know, within a hundred feet of each other, I had low OM, high OM, um, and low yield, high yield, um, and took soil samples and I'm not going to say we're finding any silver bullets with, you know, with, with our findings of, you know, it was just this one nutrient or this one thing on the soil sample that, yep, that makes sense. That's, you know, that's why we're not yielding well. Um, but what I would say is probably phosphorus and pH seem to be somewhat of the, you know, kind of the, kind of the biggest things that stick out. So it's kind of interesting to learn with growers that way. Um, and maybe I guess the other thing that sticks out to me is, is our soil sampling, um, methods today, whether that's zone sampling or grids on a three and a 3.3 acre grid or two and a half or even one acre grids, even on, even on my own farm, um, all the grid sampling we do, um, I know that we're still missing certain spots of those fields that might be a, you know, a very high pH free limestone hillside that we're not, our grid sampling maps are not showing us that. And I proved that this fall going out and taking soil samples and, and overlaying the grid and our grid missed some poor spots, poor yielding spots that we can fix. Um, and, and what it, it's the most glaring to us when we look at the, the organic matter map and it's high organic matter, but low yield. Um, you know, and, and that poses the question of why and, and how do we fix it? And so sometimes that's easier said than done. In some examples, it's easier to fix. So that's kind of my thought process around that. But what I was kind of inquisitive about or, or wondering more on is, is us as precision planning dealers is how do we, 
or how, how can you guys at Precision, you know, help us guide our customers, you know, navigate through some of this to better, better use the technology. You know, some of the maps we're getting from smart firmer is great and, and the clean furrow and, and furrow moisture. And there's a lot of on the go options that we get from it, but the maps that we can sit down and analyze, how can we better use that? And how can you guys help us? How can we teach our customers um, to do that? And, and uh, really what this all stems from, in my opinion, is, you know, differentiating ourselves versus the competition, you know, having, having items bolted on the planner that, you know, a different OEM or somebody else might not be able to offer um, and, and offer a solution to a customer that they might not get. So that's kind of where all this, this whole thing stems from. So you kind of took the, the words right out of my mouth. I was going to ask you too, when you kind of started talking into what you did to approach figuring out, you know, why your high OM areas may not correlate to your highest yield areas, what you were kind of you know, like I say, doing to, to dig deeper into that. You went into that. You kind of, you shared with us, and I appreciate uh, you sharing some of the things that you kind of did to investigate this further. What What's your next step? That's a great question. Um, and that's probably, other than the fact of sitting with these guys currently, sitting down with these customers currently, and, you know, that I've done soil samples on, um, and trying to investigate a little farther. I think, I think to answer your question, that's to turn it around and ask a question is, you know, what do we do next? And, and what is that next step? And, you know, I'll ask that question to you guys, but, you know, maybe my partial answer to that is, is being able to, um, you know, get that out to, you know, our customer base and get that, get some of this information out in uh, some type of a meeting format or social media. You know, I'm not sure um, quite the best way to present some of that, but um, probably to put some of this data together and, and uh, get it out in a usable, usable format. So I think part of your answer there too is, you know, uh, to publish this, right. Or to craft it in a way that you can kind of present it and show it and keep stacking it. Right. Uh, keep keep um, putting year over year data together to kind of show what you're seeing um, and what things like Smart Firmer tell you. Does that does that sound fair? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yep. Cool. Okay. Well, with that, Jake, I appreciate it. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit to kind of frame up the podcast here that we're going to uh, kind of jump into. And uh, I think you've done that really well. We've got some really good topics to kind of dive into here. Um, just on, on smart firmer, um, on its mapping capabilities, on what it tells us, um, just even how to dive into kind of some data layers. And so, um, I really appreciate that and congratulations, Hans, maybe, uh, you can back me up. I think Jake gets the award for being the first precision planting dealer on smarter every season podcast. I think he's correct. That is it. Congratulations, sir. Boy, now I feel like a nerd. <laughs> that uh, that doesn't come with anything other than pride, which uh, you can puff out your chest and wear that proudly. That's something to be, well, proud of. There was one other question that I had for you. What do you guys kind of feel like the hurdle is to get guys to do, like, variable rate? I, I And the reason I ask is I, I think there's a lot of guys that are excited about Smart Firmer. And, I mean, kudos to our dealer network. They... You sell the advantages of smart firmware. It's an exciting piece of technology. And I think a lot of guys get them on the planner. You shot me a number in that email that I think was about half of your guys with smart firmware are doing VR. What, yep. what's the limitation there? What's the hesitation of a grower to say, yeah, I, I know I've got the smart firmers. I've know I've got the data. What's, how do we get them over that hurdle? Yeah. So for, for your example of a, so you're saying a guy that already has smart firmer, right? Not that doesn't have it. Yeah. He's got smart firmer. He's got B drive. Okay. What's keeping yep. him from doing variable rate? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's, um, I would say a majority of that is probably the education piece of, I think most guys are probably bought into the accuracy of smart firmer for the most part, just, just from, I say that because look, sitting down with guys and looking at their uh, grid samples, looking at their soil samples, we've, we've ground truth of them several times with several guys. And 
and we all feel like the accuracy is is at least the the um, the spatial accuracy is very good, and the absolute accuracy with them is is you know really very good as well. Um, so it's not so much the accuracy from it, but I would say it's the education piece from um, knowing that we are doing the right thing, um, knowing that we are putting the seed in the right spot. You know, I got guys with Smart Firmer that are still writing prescriptions today based off other multiple layers of data um, because they feel more comfortable with it because they feel like they are doing a better job with, with their layers of data um, to create the prescription. But um, so probably the education piece of, of maybe what we're doing um, by trying to understand of why OM and yield don't always a hundred percent correlate. Yeah. Long story short, probably just from a simple fact of knowing we, we are doing it correctly. We're doing a prescription correctly. Gotcha. Or variable rate correctly. And you're just saying them having the confidence of, I've not done this before. Having the confidence to lean in and say, this is correct, we're going to try it. That's that's kind well, of the hesitation of the grower. Correct. Meaning in this zone of the field, does, does 32,000 really belong in this zone of the field? And does 27,000 really belong in this zone of the field? Okay. The confidence of, of, of guys to, um, you know, connect, be able to connect organic matter and yield um, and feel confident enough that we're doing that in the right spot. Because I have, you know, almost every field, for whatever reason, where we're at, I can show you examples where it, it does make sense and line up with OM and then the inverse happens. I can't tell you why it's so variable. I talked to other dealers, maybe closer to you guys further east, and it seems like organic matter is, you know, usually ends up being closer to yield than it does around here. But for some reason, it's just it's just uh, less true. It seems like here than it is other areas. So, um, and again, uh, not saying that what we're doing is wrong by placing, you know, using organic matter for for seeding rates. It's it's a learning curve to if it's not yielding better in them spots, why, you know? Yes. And a lot of times I would say drainage can be part of that as well. We get in a good OM, a very good bottom, and we might have a big drainage issue, you know? So there's a lot of different factors to that. And I know it's, you know, there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle there, but um, that's where I'm at. Hey, I really appreciate it. Um, thanks so much for, for being on. And uh, thank you also very much for getting back to us with some thoughts of, of um, what you thought it'd be really good to hear in a podcast. We really appreciate that. And uh, we're going to, we're going to go execute on that. We're going to get uh, hopefully a couple of our agronomists here at precision on the podcast. And we're going to talk through some of these things. So again, man, I appreciate it. Cool. Nope. Sounds good. I'll be looking forward to listening in. So cool. All right, Jake, I appreciate it. I'll let you go, man. Have a good rest of your day. All right. Thanks guys. All talk right. to you later. All right. So there's Jake. He's got a lot to unpack there. And as we just talked about, we want to start kind of at the beginning and and build up to where Jake is going when he starts to get into uh, OM control, you know, coaching a grower on uh, using um, variable rate technology. And he even gets into a little bit of kind of what to do, if you will, or digging deeper when high OM doesn't necessarily correlate to yield. Yeah, and he's asking questions that, those of us on one side of the table here in the room, Hans, Tyler, myself, totally inadequate at answering. So we brought in some experts <laughs> to really help us get some better answers. And, and across the table, we have Corey Mulbauer and Aaron Herman. Uh, these are our research agronomists here in precision planning, and they're going to help us learn today because we can all do a little, little, little better every day, and, and these guys are going to help expand things a little bit. So welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Glad to be here. So before we dive into this conversation, and I have a feeling this is going to revolve very heavily around organic matter, and Smart Firmer in general, when it first was released, a lot of the conversation and the, and the publicity came out around organic matter and its capabilities there. I just spent the entire summer up at Pontiac at our Precision Technology Institute working with customers and dealers, trying to reframe that mindset of Smart Firmer's largest value to the operator year in, year out, is not in the organic matter map. Now, I love what we're going to talk about here, and I think we're going to go down some fun to, fun avenues. But I know I can see a big value or an opportunity for us to gain wins in the cab by having visibility into the furrow 
with my moisture, uniformity, and clean residue. So that's what I taught a lot about at Precision Technology. I'd like to hear what you guys as agronomists, how do you use the metrics in the cab real time? What do you, what drives decisions for you? Is it the same thing for you or are you looking past that at new layers? What's, what's your take on that? Yeah. So to your point, I would say for me and Corey, we definitely use the clean furrow, the furrow moisture, you know, what we call the furrow metrics, um, a lot more than we use the OM map. And part of that reason, and actually it goes a little bit back to Jake's question, is, you know, he's been working with variable rate. He has prescriptions. Um, he has zones. And Smart Firmer is an easier tool to accomplish that. And it's higher definition, and it can help him tweak those zones or maybe find some that, you know, he's missed with the soil test and other layers. But, you know, for us, we have plot fields that we've used, you know, multiple years. We understand them. If we want to build a prescription, we can. Um, and so OM for us has doesn't get used as much as, you know, a grower that's just starting in where that's a super easy layer to get and a super easy layer to use for him to start. And so for personally for us, we use furrow moisture the most and clean furrow and uniform furrow um, the second most to help us manage our our plots really well and help us understand what we're testing and at the same time we for us we have you know I don't know if we call it an internal policy but um, every plot I put in I want smart firmer on every single row of the planer and that is because if there's an issue with a row unit if something goes wrong we know and all our stand counts have furrow moisture values behind them and along with other 2020 metrics, but it's hugely beneficial and it is reading moisture and residue that have very big impacts on stand and yield. And we absolutely want that information in all our plots. And I think as a grower, I would want all that information in my hands as I'm planting as well, because it's such a big driver in yield and emergence. Yeah, if I can add to that, when we do trials, like during the development of Furrow Force, our closing system, uh, we did a lot of emergence counts and and traveled all over the country counting plants and evaluating the emergence uniformity and success of Furrow Force versus other options, as well as just settings within Furrow Force as we were developing it and fine-tuning it. If we ever had a row that didn't make sense. We, we had uh, emergence issues that didn't match other rows on the same side of the planter. Quite often, the sensor kit that we have in the 2020 system would answer our question for us and tell us what went wrong. And a big part of that is the smart firmers' uh, metrics of evaluating the seed germination environment, the furrow, but it, sometimes it was our downforce data, um, you know, a number of, of things all point to whether or not we're getting clean, uniform, consistent seed placement and furrow environments for the trial. So it helped us understand when we should throw data out because we were trying to evaluate closing. And if one row had poor moisture or poor uniform furrow uh, metrics from the smart firmer, we knew that something else was wrong and it wasn't valid data to represent our closing system at that point. So very helpful uh, from that standpoint. It does a phenomenal job of, of helping you diagnose what's really happening. The other aspect to how Smart Firmer was developed, I think, is, is kind of nice to know. So the engineering effort of Smart Firmer, where it started was, can we measure in real time on every acre of a field what the seed germination environment is. Um, can we do a better job than what a farmer can do digging behind his planter uh, to, to make some judgment call on that seed environment quality? As we were developing a metric for soil moisture and one for um, the clean furrow and residue uh, contamination and working through those, we learned looking at the infrared reflection data that organic matter was a freebie 
And when we start thinking about the agronomic value of having high resolution, really good organic matter maps, we had to add that in. It was, it, it came with it. Um, so with a little extra effort in calibration and algorithms and things like that, we were able to bring that uh, into the picture as well. And, and something that, um, you know, no other sensor on a, a planter has been able to do before um, to generate a soil map in high resolution for farmers and agronomists to put to use. So it was, it was secondary in nature and, and a really neat, valuable add-in that wasn't intended originally. And what we were excited at the time and still are was the possibilities of, you know, prescriptions are cumbersome and, you know, being able to go without prescriptions, be able to pull into a field and, you know, understand your zones and where to set up automated control and that you didn't have to worry about flash drives. They both work well, but we felt like that OM layer provided the grower just a lot easier stepping stone into um, variable rate. So talk to me, or can you guys unpack a little bit about organic matter? What is that, and why why is it important to know kind of our zones in a field of where organic matter lies? Yeah, absolutely. Um, organic matter is uh, really the plant material left over, and so it's uh, – it's plant material that's being broken down, and some of it and a lot of it has been broken down over a long time, but it came from living plants, and that's different than uh, minerals such as silt, clay, sand. It's, it's living uh, from that plant material or was living. And so what that does is that actually gives us a history of how much plants did that soil sustain over time. And so if you look at an OM map of the entire nation, you'll see that, you know, the Midwest, um, some of the best soils in the world are high in organic matter. And that came from prairie grass and a lot of plant material. And then there's a second side of that is how fast does the OM break down? And so in the southern part of the nation, uh, their OM is going to break down quicker because they have warmer temperatures year-round the microbes are working on it and in the milder climates in the north it's going to take longer and is why we sustain um, higher organic matter and so those two factors really play into what organic matter we have today and what we find is that's kind of a fingerprint of its history Um, and it allows us and is a really good indicator of differences in zones okay Corey, anything to add to that yeah, so very similar to Aaron's example on a national level, when you think of within a single field, um, the same thing applies, and that is the difference in soil color, which represents organic matter, is a thousand year or more history of the biomass production in each part of that field because organic matter comes from that long-term history of volume of plant growth and plant material. So anywhere you see high organic matter content for the last thousand years, I'm just using that as a general time because it is a long time, there's been more plant material supported in that spot, in that field. And that's what makes it such a foundational layer, if you were going to pick one, to understand where is my highest potential versus my lowest potential when it comes to how well a zone in a field is going to support a crop for the next year. So wait a second. It can't be just the record of how much plant growth there is. Cause there's places down South that you go to the Caribbean or, or you're even in the deep South where there's a lot of plant growth, but there's not the deep OM present. I'd say there's equal amounts of growth there as here. Isn't there? Mm-hmm. Is it just a record of growth or, or is there something else that why are when, when you get far enough South, like Aaron commented, the burn rate of carbon material or organic material starts to kick in, and so it can wash out the evidence left behind of, of a soil type's ability to sustain plant life. You know, another example, Paul, would be if, if I took a soil sample in the middle of the Amazon rainforest, you have very high plant growth support in the Amazon rainforest. It's likely that the soil sample would be low in organic matter because all of the carbon biomass material 
is still above ground. When you have 300-foot-tall trees that are 1,000 years old, it hasn't cycled any of its carbon back through the soil yet. Uh, but when you come into an a area that's primarily prairie grass and you get annual cycling of the organic material, um, you, you will build it over time in the soil. But it has to be at a low burn rate. So Aaron mentioned okay. farther north, the system shuts down for four to six months out of the year, depending on the climate. That is one of the aspects that's important for building organic matter. So Minnesota has some of the highest organic matter soils in the Midwest. As we drop into Missouri, Kentucky, um, we get a shorter cold season, which means a longer warm season, which means biological activity is longer throughout the year. That equals more carbon burn, and so it's harder to build and sustain organic material. Uh, So you start to lose the evidence of sustainable plant growth by the loss of organic matter. So it's, it's harder to track. So I think what is important to go into this too is you alluded to it, I think with the word potential in one of your previous answers, but should higher organic matter equate to higher yield? A higher organic matter is going to be, am I right in saying that's better soil for plant growth, for corn and soybean growth, if you will? Yeah. So relative within a field, zones that have higher organic matter versus lower on a relative scale would have higher support for plant growth. It's the only way the organic matter got there in the first place. Okay. Is there anything else when you talk about like building a variable rate map, right? Or knowing what zones are going to be the most beneficial to you in a field. Is OM the best way to predict that? Why is organic matter such a good way to to predict or to build zones for the purposes of variable rate technology? Well, I don't know Corey's opinion, um, and so I'll be curious what it is here on the podcast, but I don't know if there would be, you know, different yield zones or different zones in a field that OM wouldn't correlate to. You know, if you have, you know, different yield zones in a field, uh, a very high likelihood that those are going to correlate to the OM zones. Um, either directly or inversely. But the only reason why they wouldn't correlate is maybe a misapplication of fertilizer and something man-made that we did to, to cause that to happen. But um, in general, the OM zones are going to follow um, the yield maps. So before Corey goes into this, this kind of your, your answer says that, that organic matter is going to have a, either a strongly direct or indirect relationship with yield. What about organic matter specifically drives that relationship? Go, go into the detail. It, it's, a, it's a plant record. It's a history of, of productivity of that area. But what about it in the soil makes it so valuable? Yep. So the organic matter in the soil, uh, one, is kind of a, a glue that can uh, hold a lot of water. So um, it, it's a really good indicator on how much water um, a soil can hold. And so... Um, it's my cistern. Yep, and and honestly, it also can be well-drained as well. So, you know, a clay can hold a lot of water too, but, you know, it doesn't give it up as easily. So it's, it's almost like a sponge. And so on the water side, it's very beneficial. And then on the nutrient side, it is as well because we think about the history, and that is a history of plants. Well, when plants are being broken down and OMs being broken down, that's releasing nutrients. And so as microbes work on the organic matter, we're getting phosphorus, nitrogen, potassium. But if we're in a sand or clay with very low OM, you know, there's very little to break down and we're not getting as much nutrients from the organic matter. Oh, it's so, like, so it's like a, it's, it's your battery, right? It's your cranking power. It's, the, it's yep. this number of cells in your battery. How much, not just for water, but for NPK, all the, all the nutrients as well. It's your, Absolutely. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So if we build a spatially accurate map, right, is OM one of the best things then to go ahead and build variable rate prescriptions based on? Or is there more information that you would want to know to feel comfortable to say, this is a zone that I need to manage, and this is how I'm, I'm going to do it? Yeah, so when we talk about seeding 
prescriptions or what density of plants do I want to put on an acre of ground. Organic matter is one of the really good layers to represent what the potential of that crop is. And essentially our seeding rates should be based on the potential of the crop. A history of yield maps is another good way to do it. LIDAR data, if you have access to it and have the ability to map LIDAR data, has probably a strong correlation as well, mostly because high organic matter, high productive soils tend to be the lower areas on a farm, and the higher elevation areas on a farm tend to be the lighter soils and the lower organic matter soils. So there's multiple layers that can correlate to represent the potential to support a crop in a given acre on a farm or, or in a given zone. EC data, CEC maps from soil tests, there's a number of things that could be used to directionally position how I would want to establish a, a good variable rate prescription map. Um, what's hard about all of the other options is they're it's a pretty hefty task from a mapping standpoint, software on a computer, building the zones and that sort of thing. One of the really neat features of the OM layer on Smart Firmer is it's not only a really solid representation of the potential uh, yield in a field, but it's also really easy to access that map and put it to use um, by having it plug and play on a planter. So I want to circle back to some of Jake's comments and just kind of make sure we we fully tackle everything that was on Jake's mind. He had a passion around, of course, trying to take smart firmer maps and correlate that to variable rate and helping a grower kind of walk through that process. I think we've tackled that pretty well. The other thing that Jake kind of talks about is he has some zones in fields that are high OM but are not correlating to his highest yield or yield potential. I want to unpack that a little bit because I think in a way Jake kind of answers his own question a little bit in that he's done a really good job of, you know, this doesn't make sense to him. And as Corey kind of gave him credit for and Paul gave him credit for earlier, he's taken the time to dig in and find out why. When that happens, if you have zones in the field that that are higher OM but are not correlating to your higher yield zones, I want to hear from both of you guys, what do you do there? What would cause that, and how does someone go about digging in to try and get to the bottom of that? Yeah, I would I would say the first and the biggest and the most common factor where we see OM inversely um, affect yield, so high OM uh, yields worse than low OM, is in fields with poor drainage. This is definitely the most common one because OM is typically the lower ground. And so if we have water sitting, to some degree, that can heavily influence that. And then after that point, I just really look at it as a, you know, sunlight, water, or nutrients problem. Because those are the three factors that contribute to yield. There is a factor that influenced one of those three more than OM influenced it. And and that's what we're trying to work through with Jake is... What factor was that? And so he did the right thing and looking into the soil test. So that's, you know, the nutrients portion. You know, did we have the correct amount of nutrients? Um, Then we can start looking into things like tillage, different compaction layers, maybe um, stand. You know, that portion of the field had a worse stand because of tillage, because it was poorly drained. And you can start thinking through a lot of those different scenarios. Corey, do you have... Other ones you commonly see where they are inverse? Yeah, so you alluded to a number of them. Heavier, wetter soils, which is typically our higher organic matter, can have not just the tillage problems, but it tends to be where seedling blight risk and disease is is a higher potential risk or, or more problematic, we could say. It could also be cooler in general on a given season, especially the way most Midwest farmers start planting. They plant early in the year. Temperature conditions are marginally adequate, and uh, we can get pretty cold nights and cold spells um, during those first few weeks of planting, and that can have a big impact on stand establishment 
um, and and health and vigor of that lower ground part of the field. So it's not uncommon to have uh, various reasons why those low, heavier soil type zones end up struggling more. And if that ultimately ends up impacting plant health, uh, stand establishment, final ear count for that part of the field, uh, we could see yields back up. And, and that's all separate than drainage problems where we just lack oxygen and, and good health uh, due to too much water. So um, there's a number of things that we need to sort out what the cause of the low yield is because it's it's not the fact that it's better soil that backs up yield that that contradicts itself high organic matter low ground always has highest potential so if yield is backing up it's one of these other factors that that's going to be causing it and these aren't factors that that should be reasons to plant lower populations when we talk about why is yield backing up and should i trust variable rate population by organic matter, um, these factors are, are uh, on the side. They're separate factors that, that shouldn't be impacting your decision on how many plants would adequately support a given soil zone in a field. Yeah, exactly. And I would, as an agronomist, my, my process of going through that would be just to start eliminating factors, you know, and so the most common is drainage, and so I would you know, eliminate that. And then as you work through, he did the right thing. You went to a soil test. So, you know, I'll be able to eliminate that one. And then we can work through, hey, what was the stand? Maybe as some aerial imagery, stuff like that. But really what we're trying to do is eliminate factors, but also think about what type of season it was that this showed up. Maybe it shows up one season and not another season. That's also um, a big clue on what type of factors we're looking at. I think what's important here to kind of call out or talk through too is for anybody. So one of the things that we can do with Smart Firmer is we can do variable rate based on organic matter automatically, right? If you have V drive, you can basically set up the 2020 so that it will variable rate for you or in addition to a prescription based on your organic matter, or based on your organic matter zones. So for anybody that's hesitant or cautious about doing that, because maybe they've seen instances where higher OM doesn't correlate to yield. You guys have given, I guess, me or, or talked to a lot of things that would give confidence here that that is still an instance where we want to dig in, right? Still have confidence in what Smart Firmer can do or the way that it can control V-Drive based on OM. Is that fair? Yeah, I think we've got plenty of confidence in that correlation of population and organic matter and it's a great starting point to start optimizing that opportunity in in brt seeding rates okay now we've been in the context of corn through basically this entire um, talk and i just want to point that out there are a lot of other crops where you may make different decisions on and uh, you know one other very common crop across our customer base is going to be soybeans and soybeans tend to have a reverse population goal based on um, soil productivity levels. And the reason is uh, disease and plant health mitigation risk. So, you know, just to make sure nobody takes our context of talking about corn variable rate population and assumes that it's the same for a soybean crop, it, it would actually be the reverse. So the, the right thing to do with soybeans is you lower your population in heavier soil types higher organic matter zones because of disease and plant health risk levels. And when you get into drier, lighter soil types, it's a benefit to increase population in soybeans in general because in that case, you tend to have shorter plants in lighter soils and you get a benefit from a tighter, earlier canopy to help um, maintain some of the moisture and water levels in the soil and also help uh, hold back weeds and things like that where the, the plants tend to grow shorter. So um, farmers that I know that are utilizing the ability to do population by organic matter with Smart Firmer on their planter, they increase population in corn by increasing organic matter. They decrease soybean populations by increasing organic matter. Um, so they're, they're inverse crops when it comes to how you would choose a population. You guys have been very specific in not saying high organic matter always better. 
I'm assuming because there's a limit to where organic matter is good. Where is that? What happens when you hit it? That's an excellent point, Paul. I would say the context of our range of organic matter in this talk would fit very well with somewhere around 1% organic matter on the low end and up to about a 6 or an 8% of organic matter. That's actually the range that Smart Firmer can, can accurately represent organic matter. When you get high, super high organic matter levels, so we'll say 15 to 30 or 40% OM, it can no longer be measured with Smart Firmer uh, at that level. The soil becomes black as black can be, and it is a infrared reflection value that we're measuring with Smart Firmer. So those have to be measured through soil lab results to actually determine that high of a level. It's a very low percentage of soil in the country, but you can actually get into a situation where the organic matter can hurt your crop. And the reason that that happens is organic matter is a massive biological ecosystem in the soil, and it has the ability to consume a lot of nutrients. And so as nutrients like phosphorus and potassium and uh, nitrogen are available in the season, those microbes are competing with your plants for those available nutrients as they break down and consume the organic carbons in the soil. So when you get excessive amounts of organic matter, like 15 to 40 percent OM, uh, it can actually be a challenge for your crop to get access to the needed nutrients that, that uh, they require throughout a season because of that gr huge competition with the massive microbial environment there. So I want to thank everybody so much for listening to Smarter Every Season. We have a ton of content with Corey and Aaron. They were nice enough to sit with us for quite a while and unpack a lot in the conversation around organic matter, uh, variable rate, multi-hybrid. We're going to pick back up with this conversation and uh, specifically uh, variable rate multi-hybrid after winter conference. Uh, but we have let them go. And in the time since we taped the portion of the podcast with Corey and Aaron, had some conversation with Paul Harms about maybe how we kind of wrap this podcast up. And so Paul is with me again. It's just he and I here. And we're going to attempt to do that. And so, Paul, what I want to do at this time is I really want to use this wrap up to put a bow on Jake's question and hopefully really quench his thirst. And we're going to go back to the topic of what do I do if high organic matter doesn't yield or doesn't, doesn't line up with my high yield areas in the field? What if those two things don't correlate? Okay. And so I took some notes during the podcast and getting the chance to kind of go back and listen to some of the audio. And he's asking me to follow up on Aaron and Corey here. So it's a pretty high bar here. I'm ready. What do you got? Let's I, see. I have full confidence in you. Um, so I took some notes about, I, I made a list of five things that I think it always kind of goes back to if those two things don't correlate, right? High OM and, and yield. And so I'm going to give you my list and then I'm going to start back in the beginning and I'm going to ask you to unpack if I believe this is the problem. What does that look like, or how do I dig in and try and find out how that shows up in the field? Right? So here's my list. Water, nutrients, sunlight, miscellaneous local impacts. And what I'm kind of what we're kind of getting into there is diseases, right? Or there's a story in the field that maybe only that grower can kind of fill in the background of. And I'm I'm, I'm gonna let you dig into that one a little bit more. Okay. Uh, and then general notes on the season. And this is things like Murphy's law, right? This is things like, um, karma, yes. yeah. right? That, yeah, I got that, you. that showed I got you. up kind of as a, as a random event. Okay. Right? So we're diving into this and we've got our, our, of course, our big three, water, nutrients, sunlight, okay. some form of local miscellaneous impact, and then whatever that season taught us. Yes. So I want you to start at the beginning okay. and start with water. Let me frame this up first and say, okay. What we're talking about here, if we have an instance where we have a data layer or, or we have our OM map and it doesn't align with what we would expect with yield. Now we're talking about taking uh, a ground truth. We need to identify what's good, what's bad. What we include in there can be just as valuable or just as impactful as what we intentionally exclude from our, from our management zone creation and 
let me let me harken back or, or jump to a concept of IBM has this tool out called Watson, right? It's their AI. They've been successful with that AI in the weather industry and the medical industry because it doesn't rely on they can be a, have a valuable output for the mass for the mass use without having hyper local information. They can make generalizations and be very good with their guidance. Where we in agriculture, where they did take a shot at, um, where they haven't really had a huge impact in, in so far is because so much of what we do requires that hyper-local or that ground-truthed bit of information that only the user, the ground owner, the guy who's running over it three times throughout the season in a tractor or in a spray and a combine that understands why this area does better than that area and that can, just like Aaron and Corey said, interpret that map. They're going to know what to do with each one of those three. So if I start at the beginning with water, and water, sunlight, and nutrients are all going to lay in my head in a too much or a too little, okay? Let's start off with water. Too little, pretty straightforward. That's going to be, I'll look to my elevation maps, uh, high areas, things of that nature. Uh, Could be just a simple factor of the soil itself, water holding capacity, soil type, things of that nature. To keep this quick, let's jump to the too much. That's almost always going to be drainage. I'm going to be dealing with uh, uh, an inability to move the water away. This is my lower areas. So again, an elevation map can help me. Uh, Soil type, drummer flanagans are going to be more prone to drainage issues than quite a few others. What sits between the balance there is going to be tillage, right? I can have a properly drained soil that doesn't move water well because I've caused a problem. I've put a compaction layer in with my tillage practice. So that's the fulcrum that sits between those two. That's the teeter-totter piece. Nutrients. All right, nutrients. Again, I'm going to approach it from a too much or a too little. Uh, I'm going to reverse the way I talk about these two because nutrients very rarely has a too much aspect. You can, in some saline and sodic soils, run into or, or you're more likely to run into a toxicity of a nutrient. Um, what we deal with is not usually a... a scenario most often uh, it's going to become from uh, too little too little can be just a presence is that you know has it has the soil been depleted is that is that nutrient not available do i need to add that with my fertility program the probably larger driver what we what we deal with in the ag industry or as farmers and operators is going to be availability one is it in a form that's available to the crop to the plant can that plant access it pH is probably one of the biggest drivers there to that availability. You may have it there, but it's not available. That does have, pH also has a big influence on the toxicity side. And I would, I would again, bring tillage into the conversation and say, as that intermediary there, you can have available nutrients, but if the roots can't find it, if they can't get to it, it's in a plant available form, but it's on the other side of a brick wall that the plant can't reach. That'd be where I'd, summarize on on nutrients sunlight sunlight's a little crazier again there's there's probably two ways to look at that a too much and a too little if i'm i'm talking about too much sunlight there i'm thinking of the the deeper south where uh or or the panhandles or or out in nebraska where we can get a lot of um, sunlight good growing conditions and it exceeds my water availability to the plant, right? Because that's the accelerator on the floor running that engine at a high RPM. If I run out of water and I still have the accelerator on the floor, I'm going to blow the engine. Too little sunlight, I would think of that to be more as a population, a competition, where I'm crowding it out and not each plant has the capability to achieve enough sunlight to, to, to maximize its yield potential. I think tillage would have... Uh, a bit of an impact there as well on on our ability to, to take advantage of that that population that would have an impact that's not as strong as it would be on the first two the water and the nutrients okay how about uh just miscellaneous local impacts yes uh you mentioned it i think diseases so soybean cyst nematode and disease is kind of the catch-all bucket but like soybean cyst nematode would be a great hyper local instance uh seedling blights maybe got some lower areas that hold that overwinter it doesn't always have to be just a, a disease or things. This could be where they dropped that old farm building 30 years ago, the old farmstead house, and now I'm farming over that. It could be, you know, maybe you got some, some um, 
wind towers put in on your field, right? And they didn't use the nice gravel lane that they put in to move between them as they were constructing them. And they just kind of cut across your field. Now you got a couple nice stripes in there. Only the user, only the local owner, the, the guy who knows that ground is going to be able to help you interpret that in your data layers and say, let's excise that from this so we're not creating bad management zones based off of that. Garbage in, garbage out thing. Yeah. The final one, note the season. I think Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law, um, probably no better example of that than hail. Mm-hmm. Think of, think of uh, uh, I've got a really high-yielding zone right in the middle of my field. I love it. It's always my, my top breadwinner of this farm, and I get a, a microburst. It drops some hail in, and for this season, I've got a data layer in my yield map that says this one drops out. Well, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna use that in my management zones. I need to use the the XI the the expertise and the experience to pull that out of the equation. Yeah. So I think in going through all of these, some of these are, are fairly obvious, right? Mm-hmm. If we have hail damage to a crop in a higher OM area, that's probably a question that we can get answered fairly quickly, right? A grower is probably not coming back to their dealer wondering why hail didn't correlate with high OM. But I think there are a couple of these that you kind of unpack and highlight well as to, you know, what could kind of cause or what we need to look for. The important thing that I kind of want to highlight here is if you ask someone at Precision Planning that question, right, why doesn't my high OM areas correlate to high yield? These are the five things that we're going through in the back of our head. And we're probably asking you some form of a question that relates back to getting to one of these five key areas. Now, I can't speak in definitives, right? Because I don't know, and and generally I find that somebody can always find that one exception. But I would say a large majority of the time it comes back to one of these five things that's that's in the back of our mind. And so I guess I'm encouraging our dealers that this is kind of your coaching piece um, of, of how you dig in and how you find out why those two things don't correlate if they don't correlate. Keep these in the back of your mind because these are what we keep in the back of our mind that we're relating back to if we get asked that question. Yeah, and Jake is on the right path with these. He started these these investigations and looking into this layer. It would be a complete encouragement to, to Jake and, and all the future Jakes that have that run into this same uh, brick wall of what do I do now? Why, why don't these maps line up right? Uh, it would be an encouragement of uh, work with that grower to understand, like Corey said, there's probably something else that stepped in the way of what the organic matter says should be capable of being supported on that piece of ground to why it's not. If it were simple and easy, it would be already done and mapped and layered already. So we gotta we got to dig a little deeper and just start building the list of likely candidates that stepped in the way. Yeah. And I think you kind of started to allude to it a little bit earlier when you start to talk about that uh, miscellaneous local impacts. But I think one of the best things that you can do, ask the grower. Because I think a lot of times, maybe a grower can't point to exactly what happened, but they know the story behind an area in the field, right? And you can take their story and you can keep these five things in the back of your mind. And when they tell you that story, you can start to point to one of these five things and take that conversation to the end zone. And it can also be a, a watch for list of, hey, the next season, I know this area didn't match up last year. I'm going to go be looking at that. And I'm going to keep a little closer eye on it for the next season or two. When I go to scout a field, I'm going to make sure that zone is on my catch list. So I walk or walk through there and check it at the stand count, check it after a wind event, check it after a heavy rain. Let's try and build that local knowledge and help those growers with that. Yeah. I love it. With that, I want to thank everybody again for listening to this edition of Smarter Every Season. And we really had a lot of conversation around organic matter here and what the significance of organic matter is. And after Winter Conference, we're going to pick back up with Corey and Aaron, and we're going to dive into taking that OM information and correlating or turning that into variable rate prescriptions and multi-hybrid prescriptions. And so I I want everybody to, first of all, focus on Winter Conference next week. (laughs) But after that, we're going to pick back up because, like I said, we have a lot of content that those two are nice enough to spend time and and sit down with us and really unpack this. But, uh, again, we're going to pick up more on this after the week we come back from Winter Conference. But, uh, again, thank you for listening to this edition. I'd like to step in as well and say, again, thank you, Jake 
for prompting that question because it really did start a great conversation. And I'd like to reach out and say thanks to Aaron and Corey for jumping in, helping us out, giving us, dropping some knowledge on us, and really just pitching in on the effort for us as we, we continue our mission to get a little smarter every season.